What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Pohada Podcast. Matt Browse here of Pohada Photography. Got my friend Opie with me on my lap, for those of you watching on YouTube. Welcome back to the show. Today is another BSing with a black belt. A friend and training partner of mine, Mr. Mark Niccolo. He's actually a favorite training partner of mine because we're kind of opposite on the attributes spectrum. He's a smaller, lighter individual with incredible flexibility where I'm kind of the big, strong guy in the gym. And he's also uh, extremely good at jiu-jitsu, also unlike me. As is somewhat customary, we start a little bit off-topic talking hip-hop and music and the industry. I try to pull it into country music. He doesn't really follow me there. But we bring it around to jiu-jitsu for quite a while, get into his philosophy, his path to black belt. And then you actually kind of both come around to, much like with hip-hop and music, in BJJ, we're sort of the old guys and behind the times, even though he's been in it forever and I'm new. Anyway, without further ado, my friend, Mark Niccolo. I think the first thing we talk about is who... We get down to important stuff first okay. on this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, who's the greatest rapper of all time? Oh, man. Right off the bat, Jesus. Um, <laughs> it depends. Because if we're talking about pure lyricism, I would say it's probably Black Thought from the Roots. Um, if we're talking about greatest rapper, like just MC, performer, Spittin'. yeah, just all around, ooh boy. It might have to be Jay-Z. He's not necessarily my favorite, but what he's accomplished... And his ability to like change his style consistently and still have people and still make really good music. Like his, you know, this, the style that he had on his first album from his, you know, each successive album is like it's different almost every time. And he still makes consistently like really good music. So I might, yeah, he might have to be in That's terms a- of like greatest. Yeah. That's He's a, also one of the more, you know, one of the most successful. Yeah. Revered. That. Yeah, for as, sure. As well Absolutely. as he's like a mogul and probably yeah, owns basketball sure. teams and stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. That's actually a cool answer because, like, uh, if you listen to one Metallica album to the next, there are significant divergences in style. Yeah, for sure. And then also considered losses in quality yep. by a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, absolutely. So that's an interesting take. Like how it how has someone evolved? Yeah. And then, you know, managed to sustain their skill or their clout. Yeah. If you will. My favorite thing about Metallica is how many times they've sold out. Like they they're accused <laughs> of selling out like yeah. a half dozen times in their career. That's called just being successful, yeah, yeah. isn't it? Like their first album was like when they got signed to a major record label. They're like, mm-hmm. "You sell out." I'm like, "For okay. what? For what? Yeah, <laughs> we don't funny. have to sleep in a in a yeah. van and somebody's or somebody's couch anymore, so we're sellouts." Imagine if you're an accountant and you got a job as an accountant, and then people called you a sellout. Like you yeah. sold out to the man. Yeah, exactly. I have a cube. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's called being employed. Yeah, exactly. Have, have an income. Like. And even like their music didn't, the sound of their music didn't change right. super drastically from right. like their first to their second yeah, album. Yeah. It wasn't like yeah. this drastic departure. It was really but, only like saying anger. Yeah. Like where they went. Yeah. Like I can understand with the Black Albums, like the big one that people talk about, like 
the cha- they changed their sound. Like I kind of get it from like really from their first. It's still like mm-hmm. thrash metal type music. Yeah. Like it's still the same right. st- like style of music. Like the are they really sellouts? It's just funny. It's funny when people, yeah, what fans will say. And I'm sure people said the same thing about like an artist like Jay Z, like All tons of, of times. Yeah. Or like when an underground Jay Z was never really like an underground artist, but when underground artists start to make it big, then they're automatically like, "Oh, you sold out" because they changed their style. And, and maybe they did, but yeah. a lot of times they didn't. Their st- like style is exactly the same. Right. Their sound it sounds exactly the same. It's just not what you want to hear. Yeah, and they're successful now, and you're yeah. jealous. Yeah, exactly. Is what that is. That's a lot of it, for sure. Come on, any anybody that's successful in anything is going to catch hate, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Even if you're the good guy or the heel or whatever, you're yeah, still yeah. going to catch hate. I asked you about that because I know you're a music guy. Yeah, yeah. Because I I I, <laughs> I I I I went surfing on the internet when I first joined M Theory for a lot of the black belts at the gym just to kind of figure out who these people are. Yeah, That's yeah. how I am. I'm relentlessly curious. And you had social media at the time, and I stumbled on yours, and there was DJ stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. it disappeared. Yeah. Good I'm for not. you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a huge... <laughs> so the reason why I was on, especially Instagram at that time, was I did this like DJ mix of... like I streamed it, and then I put it on YouTube, but it was all 1994 songs like hip-hop from 1994 is like kind of arguably one of the best i think it's hard to argue best like objectively but it's considered one of the best years in hip-hop so it was like the 25th 2019 was like the 25th anniversary of this year oh sure so i was like oh let me i kind of want to do something and so i just gathered like all this music and it was fun because i got to research like look back yeah i was like holy crap that was from that was also from that yeah, was, yeah. geez that's so a fun was, thing because you yeah, don't realize what it was year. fun yeah certain certain songs i was like oh wow and then other ones were like 93 and then some were 95 and it's like trying to figure out i was like oh wow that was dope but that was like six months later but right but it so, all yeah, feels like the same summer too yeah from exactly. back in the day right <laughs> exactly 94 would have been yeah. like Doggy style or what? Uh, that, that was ninety three. Ninety three. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But I was, that I era, was a kid. I didn't yeah, know yeah, that. Uh, yeah. But that was kind of all a part of that same for sure. era. Yeah. But so that was why I was on social media, and you know, subsequently got off shortly after that. Once <laughs> I was done promoting that, and it was out there, I was like, I don't want to be on the same one. I'm just not really a big well, social sure, media yeah. fan. Again, good yeah, for you. Yeah. It seems like a healthy move, yeah. but. It seems like a cool project to try to make something of. Yeah, I've thought about doing other ones, and that's other one of things the got in the way. One of the coolest things on like TikTok slash Instagram yeah. Reels is all these DJs with all yeah, the yeah. fancy lights in the background throwing song songs together. Yeah, yeah. And then, you, cool. and then you steal it and put it on your own jujitsu video. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what we do on there now. Yeah, it's cool because now that technology I think is cool, and if. If I, when I started DJing, like it was all analog. I mean, it was all, there was none of this stuff. I mean, the internet existed, but it didn't exist in the the sense that it does now. It's like, man, if that would have been around back then, I would have been all over it. But, you know, it's. So were you still, you were still like literally on records and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. When you did that video. Yep. Yeah, now they have, it's what's called DVS, digital vinyl system or something like that. But it's... Those little pads looking things. Well, it's it takes actual vinyl, but then mm-hmm. what's pressed on the vinyl is like a... 
it's a, a, a code, like a signal. So that signal gets translated through like a piece of software. And so you can take an MP3 and it encodes that signal. And it, so you can play, you can manipulate the sound on an actual piece of vinyl, but it's an MP3, like through your computer. So it's pretty dope. Yeah, yeah it's super, it, super cool. It changed, it completely changed DJing because, especially for a lot of hip hop dudes, because, you know, imagine DJ Jazzy Jeff talks about this on occasion that before all of this, he was traveling the world with all of his equipment <laughs> and crates of records. Mm-hmm. And some a of semi truck, yeah. Full of stuff. And one, the charge it, the, the like flight charges for all of this. It was like, it's not even worth it to travel to some of these places and get paid. Like, I have to charge them more because all the weight of all of these records, I have to pay for that. Right. So, and he's saying, like, (laughs) I've lost crates of records that, like, they're not replaceable. Like, I would have to, like, search and dig and try to find these records again. Like, I only have one copy of this one record that's super rare. So, it's gone. Like, he just, you know, loses it. You know, even... He's like, I think some people have stole them, you know, like right. airline workers have like yeah, stole them. So I'm sure he's like, now I have a laptop and a hard drive and I can plug all of this into this piece of software and I can still use turntables. I can still use vinyl. It's the exact same feel. So nothing changes from that respect. Hmm. But now I can have it just all in my backpack, basically. So he's like, it made me, he, he said on some video I watched years ago, he's like, he made me love DJing again because I can do more creatively and it's not this huge pain in the ass to have to lug yeah. all this stuff. Or literally, like he's so famous, he's traveling all over the world to right, to right, do it. Right. So yeah, it's pretty. It's cool. I and I used it. That's when I did that mix. It was, you know, still using pieces of vinyl, but it was through my laptop instead of sure, sure. the actual like actual vinyl. But but that's, that's how I started. Was that's wild. Vinyl. Yeah. How old are you? Uh, forty. Four? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. A little bit older than me. I was like, yeah. man, you were scratching on wax. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Uh, that's why I, I always say, like, yeah, man, you got like ten thousand songs in your pocket. Well, they're not even in your pocket anymore. Yeah. Like it's not like an iPod where you had, you know, your five thousand songs. Yeah. You don't even have them anymore. Mm-hmm. They're just out in the ether, yeah. and you tap into it. Yeah. The way people consume music now, especially, is way different. Like with things like Spotify and that medium and and even now how people are how do i say it like how album sales are recorded like how people judge an album sale like before it was i bought this physical piece of an album or i downloaded the whole album on mp3 and that's how you judged you know this album has this many sales yeah but now with streaming and things like spotify like they the way they're able to judge the success of an album is way different because people just consume music differently now so what's the like the metric i don't really know i don't don't really understand it to be honest it's like how many how often the song gets streamed but people i think especially now kids now like teenagers and people in their 20s like early 20s don't listen don't sit down and listen to an entire album as often anymore like it's just they might find a song and Stream this. Oh, I think I think it's been that way for a while. For sure. I think like even back when you had to buy the CD, even it was still just a couple key songs. Yeah, I think the majority, probably the majority of people, for sure. And there's albums in hip hop that are super successful that it has one good song on it. Yeah. That the album itself is like regarded as kind of garbage, but 
the record sales of that album are through the roof yeah. because of this one single that people just loved. And it's used on TikTok videos. <laughs> exactly. So then the people yeah. who are into purchasing and owning digital files now then bought it or something. Yeah, yeah. That is a cool thing, though, being able to listen to track one through 16 and liking the whole thing. Yeah. This, that seems to be like a throwback sort of thing. Yeah, and that it's funny. It makes me maybe that makes me old, but because that's how I judge albums. Like if I like this artist or this album, is like can I sit down and just press play and listen to the whole yeah. thing? Well, yeah, you would never, you you'd never really love a painting, but this upper corner of it. <laughs> that's a good. Analogy. You know, I mean, I yeah. suppose each individual track is yeah. a separate thing. Okay, yeah, yeah. but you know, if the I suppose that went away with digital recording more and more that it wasn't this big disc yeah this was the experience one song to the next it is just like a grab bag of songs yeah yeah. even on spotify you can't just download to your device because i do that because i'll listen while i'm out and about you have to download a whole album at a time okay so maybe there's like some couple of old curmudgeons in the industry somewhere like no make them listen to the (laughs) whole album or something yeah yeah because that like that that's the thing i liked about um a lot of atmosphere stuff. Oh, sure. Is it? It was always a cohesive sound and a cohesive mm-hmm. thing to each set of 10, 15 songs. And yeah. you would just listen all the way through. Yeah, for sure. Versus like a lot of, especially hip hop. I'm not a huge hip hop guy, but especially hip hop. You'd listen to one song and be like, skip, skip. Yeah. Skip, skip. There skip. are albums like that for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting when there was a change, I feel, in like the early 2000s maybe, where albums were just a collection of singles like you could have had you could have pulled this song you know from an artist you could have pulled this one and put it on this other album this one and switched them around it didn't matter the order of the songs it was just a collection of singles as opposed to earlier hip-hop albums like it was an album it had like a story to tell from beginning to end yeah and they had different songs had different topics and in in the early 2000s like songs were just interchangeable like a lot of times right. and they, it didn't matter like you could have put them on shuffle on your mp3 and it and wouldn't it, have changed yeah, how yeah, you yeah. there was it. no lead in from exactly. the sound and the message from one into the next yeah yeah that is really pretty true there's a there's a country guy that i'm a big fan of named sturgill simpson and him and another guy colter wall have done this return to like the western side of country and western okay i feel like i'm outside your realm a little bit a little bit a little bit but like the uh hey bub the no don't be get go lay down the uh like the sort of western plains storytelling vibe that there's like there's a legit difference between country and western and you Mm -hmm. listen to a couple of key albums in the last like five years from each of those guys and it's almost like the song never stopped the story just shifted gears and focused on a different character and the, the instruments just flowed one into the next. Like, so if you go out of order, it, it feels heavy and weird. Yeah, sure. Like it's an album experience, mm-hmm. which feels like that's how it should be. Yeah. Again, yeah, that's yeah. probably old guy talk at Maybe. this point, but who knows? Yeah. And I don't, I guess I don't know. I'm really out of touch with, especially modern, like the, the current generation of hip hop artists. Like I don't really follow it a lot. Um, but, for me personally, yeah, it might be an age thing, but it's there's definitely something about being able to just sit down and listen to an whole an entire album and listen to what the artist intended you to experience. Yeah, like yeah. I want you to experience, you know, from this, front this, to back, this, like this, beginning, middle, yeah. end kind of right. storytelling. Well, and 
that's definitely a digital media thing. Because when I can hop around on Spotify between 7 million songs, you know what I mean? And I can listen to 15 seconds, which is what I do when I'm on like a TikTok platform. Mm -hmm. I've never been on TikTok, but like Instagram Reels, you know, the famous part of the most famous songs is like a 15 second chunk of the beginning. Sure, yeah, yeah. Let alone an hour long album. Yeah. That's not even... Like the, the, the attention span of people has shifted <laughs> yeah. so dramatically. That might, that might be a part of it. It's not even a possibility yeah. anymore. We're we're officially leaning into these damn kids these days and their <laughs> yeah. their short hip hop songs yeah, yeah. at this point. Yeah, I really try to stay away from like judging the next generation of music because people do that all the time. Mm-hmm. It's even my it's happening now with like my generation though. Listen to some old nineties music, you know, hip hop songs or any any genre from that era, and they're like, "Oh, kids today will never know about this." And I just, you know, every generation yeah. has had that. Like my grandfather listened to Frank Sinatra, and I guarantee you, he his parents were like, "This is yeah. trash," and these are <laughs> terrible influence on the youth. And then my mom loved the Beatles, but they were like the long-haired hippies who did LSD. Yeah. And then every single generation, yep. like we had gangster rap, and my mom was like, this is trash. Like every generation has that. Yeah. You know, the older generation hates it. Right. So I don't like... So you I really I, try to stray away from yeah. the current music. If I don't like it, that doesn't Leave it alone. make it bad. Sure. Like I, I try to understand it, to be honest, like just to see why kids will appreciate it. Sure. But that's their music, and yeah. if it means something to them, then it has value. So right. it's harder to understand now because it's mumbled. <laughs> yeah, I, that's that, you know, yeah. and there, there we yeah, go, yeah. officially going out and mumbling. Yeah, yeah, you know. Oh yeah, that's the thing. Well, yeah, because in my era, it was all about lyrics. It was like that was super important. Like you know, your lyrical ability. If you didn't have that, you got laughed out of the room. And for that change to happen, it's where complete opposite. It's like people don't care about that at all. Right. Just and have a fun beat. Yeah, say yeah. some things. Yeah. That's it. And people like kids now, they they know about hip hop from the nineties. They're totally aware of it. And they can even appreciate it. The same way I would appreciate like Stevie Wonder or whoever, like mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix or something when I was a mm-hmm. kid. But their their response is, Well, that's my dad's music. Yeah. Nas is my dad's music. <laughs> Like it's dope. Like they can appreciate it and be like, "I like this." Nas that's is my... dad's. Yeah, music. it's crazy. Dude, oh, right? you're hitting me in the old. I know, button. man. You got a birthday coming up here too. <laughs> but it's true though. It's like it's actually a. Uh, you got kids who are teenagers who are just like, "It's cool. I like it, but I like this better. This shit. other. Yeah, they're doing it right better. now. Yeah, exactly. I said, "There's a line in the movie Clueless, just to stick with the '90s, <laughs> okay, thing, where the the stoner pothead kid has this revelation." Where he's like, oh, so when I give my parents shit about Led Zeppelin, like, that's the way my kids are going to think about Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> totally and, he, and he's like, that's a that's very good observation, yep, actually. Exactly. That's, that's, that's exactly 100% accurate. Oh, man. Nas is dad's music now. Yep. Okay. It's time to switch to jujitsu talk. <laughs> <laughs> We've insulted Nas. Trying to, trying to put me in the We've old We've insulted club. every Gen Xer. Mm-hmm. 
and their music, <laughs> so we need to stop talking about music. I actually saw a little interview clip with, uh, is it Andre 3000? Yeah, yeah. From yeah. Outcast, Outcast, where yeah. they asked why he isn't putting stuff out, why he's like done. And he basically said what you said is like, this is not my music. Yeah. It's not my genre anymore. Yeah. This is not my, I'd be faking it and everyone would see it. Yeah. Which was kind of a cool, like, honesty thing. Yeah, for know, sure. From a guy that was like top of the game in some yeah. regards or whatever to just be like, no, man, it's moved beyond me and that's yeah. not who I am. It's also smart for his legacy because artists will do that where they stick around too long. You're like, dude, you're old. Go away. Karis One still making music. And he probably shouldn't be. Like, yeah, what a legend. Yeah. Stop. Yeah, exactly. Just be a legend, dude. We love you, but we don't want to hear new stuff from you anymore. Sorry. Yeah. All right, that's enough of that. Let's talk jujitsu. Okay. Um, I, this is not how I normally start this conversation, okay. but this is how I'm going to do it. <laughs> All right. I, if you were to ask, like if we were to slap hands and you said, okay, so what's your plan here? I would describe to you a list of things that would make you go, mm-hmm. That's exactly what I would have expected for a big dude. It's not deliberate. Like I went and Googled, okay, I'm a big guy. How should I play jujitsu? But it's like stuff that worked mm-hmm. and I've pulled and packaged together. And then I recently stepped back and I was like, oh, I'm stereotypical big guy jujitsu. <laughs> Great. Is that a good thing or a bad thing for a blue belt? Mm-hmm. I'm a blue belt. Yeah. I think it's a really good thing that you're aware of it, for sure. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing. That's a tough question to answer. I don't think there's anything wrong with this stereotype big guy jujitsu, as long as you're learning jujitsu, as long as you're understanding like the fundamental aspects behind all of it. Then I think it's fine. I think. Because the stereotype of big guy jiu-jitsu is just, I'm just going to be heavy and lay on top of you, and I'm going to use my weight and probably my strength to my advantage. And in that, I'm not going to understand the technical aspect of this. I'm going to, I don't want to use the word cheat because it's not, it's not always the right way. But in that, in the practice of like you trying to pass someone's guard, you can get away with things that a smaller guy might not be able to against someone who's smaller. But then you spar with someone who's as big as you or bigger than you. And those same things don't work because you haven't learned the like quote unquote proper technique of it. Mm -hmm. I think that happens a lot for big guys. And it's kind of like, uh, it's a a downfall. I think of size in jujitsu. I think it's a, like a detriment at a, a lot of times, but the good thing comes is when you learn the technique properly and then you have the size and strength to back it up. So you're not using your size and strength to compensate for lack of technique. You're using that to like kind of support it instead. So I think just the fact that you're aware of it, that, okay, I'm playing this kind of stereotype big guy game. Now I would say, how do you do it right like, how do you do the big guy game, but still do it, like, technically correct? Because I don't think there's anything wrong with, like, that stereotype. Yeah. But I think... Eventually, you're going to play to your attributes. Exactly. Absolutely. Like, everybody does that. Like, I'm super bendy and flexible, and mm-hmm. I've used it to my advantage. The problem mm-hmm. is, if I'm super flexible, and I'm stuck in side control, 
Like people can pull their foot to their head and use that to like get out of side control. Should you be doing that? Like you might be able to, but what happens when that doesn't work and you don't know the technically proper way to get out of side control? So everybody uses those things. I use the my flexibility to my advantage, but I don't use it as a try not to use it as a crutch. So I think that's where the, the difference is. But I think you recognizing that and saying, okay, I can play all these other ways of doing jujitsu that's not stereotypically big guy. And then you start to like develop your own like personality, I guess, in jujitsu. Sure. So the attributes can be a cheat code until the cheat code doesn't work. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, kind of. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, imagine, imagine you, if you do something that works against someone my size, what happens when that doesn't work? against someone who's your size or bigger you know i remember being a lower rank and having being in side control on top of someone who's really big and they would literally just bench press me off of them like you can't do that to someone who's 300 pounds 350 pounds if they know if if they have good technical jujitsu you know as someone who is a power lifter you might physically be able to lift that person but if they have proper technical you know weight distribution it might not work but you also don't know how to hip escape and get back to guard. So then you're screwed. So I think there's from that point, I think it has to be like, you have to explore the proper technique, but you still, you can't like it get rid of your attributes. Like you can't just turn them off. You don't, nobody knows how to, you know, you don't know how to not use. Cause what, what I think is really strong for you might be you only being 20%. I don't know that. And you don't know that. Sure. Sure. But you still have, if, as long as you're going down the road of it, trying to be as technically correct as possible, then it, you know, the big guy, small guy jujitsu kind of, that doesn't really matter at that point. Right. Over and over and over again, it hasn't mattered. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it seemed that, that I have a theory that the small to average size women in any gym probably have the gnarliest arc in terms of their development. Like the best arc. Yeah. Like you take 10 guys, whatever sizes, 10 women, whatever sizes. You pick the smallest people and then particularly the women in general. Mm -hmm. And 10 years later, I would expect better jujitsu out of the women's side yeah. of that. And then the smaller of all of them because there's no choice. Yep. Like I... Early on, I had roll after roll after roll that involved me sort of leaning into somebody, and we tipped over, and I was on top because gravity, and we're both a mess technically. And that person was like, "Man, I got to figure that out." Where I was like, "Huh, that seemed to work." Yeah, just not even consciously realizing it yeah, was a yeah. big sloppy mess because yeah. you don't know what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. But there you are on top, so you do it again and do it again. Meanwhile, they're figuring out the puzzle. Yeah, I think yeah, that's a good point. I think technically, like smaller people in general have a and have an advantage in terms of learning jujitsu in terms of learning like the actual technique of it because they have to get it to work right they have to do it correctly to work on every size of person because if they don't it's just like trying to push over a car you know but it's like if somebody's larger and stronger and all you know the the attributes that we kind of you know, half jokingly like disparage, like, mm -hmm. oh, you just use strength. And mm -hmm. I don't like getting into that, but I do think that it can be disadvantageous in terms of learning 
because you can just shove someone over oh, yeah. and it's like, oh, yeah. it, it's fine. E- even just accidentally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and I was talking about this with uh, Darren, another blue belt at the gym. Uh, oh, yeah. Yep. Who I drill with quite a bit. And we've been drilling sweeps and half guard quite a bit and, and finding grips and finding a way to, to get some, well, yeah, yeah. my version of a sweep. I think IBJJF a sweep is you then get to a knee. <laughs> I don't get that far. I tip you over. <laughs> And we're yeah. good. Uh, I'm happy with that right now. But I, I, I have found that the sweep that works on that person and that person and that person, well, then I roll with Big Jim and my buddy Big Nick and multiple other guys with Big in their nickname. <laughs> yeah. And it it suddenly doesn't want to go. Yeah, for you know? sure. And, and it's sort of that, like, I guess recognize the attributes and be as clean as possible, but still in a way play to my opponent's attributes as yeah, well like sure. it's going to be a different sweep with that giant versus this tiny yeah. little dude over here and a part of that too though is their ability to defend it and their experience level and a part of it is timing and doing doing the sweep at the right time is is important you know you can't just you mean the second i get the grips <laughs> and get excited and then try to slam yeah. them to the side yeah just do that you know yeah, so a lot of it, there's there's probably a bit more nuance to it than mm-hmm. that, where it's just you have to you have to take into account also the skill level of your opponent outside yeah. of just their size as well. Right, it is such a damn dynamic game. Yeah, that's probably the hardest part of the puzzle is that you can't. There's no standardization of anything. Yeah, ever because yeah. they're better, you know, than they were last time you saw them, even though they're still smaller than you and blah blah blah. Yeah, blah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, when did you start training jujitsu? I started in '07, so I think fall, sometime around fall of '07, I think if I remember right. And that was at the Minnesota Martial Arts Academy. In my first year, I did both Thai boxing and jujitsu. Oh baby, uh oh, <laughs> Thai boxing is scary, man. Yeah, I. I remember that first year, I, as the year went on, I found myself training jujitsu more and Muay Thai less. And maybe like eight, nine months in, I was only training Muay Thai a couple of days a week. And then by like whatever month 10, I was only doing jujitsu. And I kind of slowly, Muay Thai kind of slowly went away. So as the, the jujitsu obsession kind of started to take over, I think. Just organically became the clearer preference. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I did, so I trained karate when I was in high school. Um, and some other, the school I trained at in high school was kind of like a mixed arts school, but it was all like kind of traditional Asian arts, mostly Japanese and Okinawan arts. But so I was kind of used to striking. Mm-hmm. And I remember two things about Thai boxing. One, it kind of got boring after a while, in all honesty. Really? Like, it not born. It was repetitive. Sure. The training was the same thing in general every day. Like it was okay. Jab, cross, roundhouse kick, knees, elbows. Like at a certain point, I felt like I figured it out. Like not to say that I was yep. any good at it yep. at all by no means, but I felt like this makes sense to me, right. and it made sense fairly quick. And I found myself like every class was like, oh, it's it's this again, it's this again. So it was kind of the same thing over and over again. The other thing is, when I started sparring, I didn't like it because 
if I would spar with like a high level dude, even like you mentioned, you had Nat McIntyre on the show. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I remember sparring with him, and he's smaller than I am. I mean, he's yeah, like he's one, not a big yeah, person. he's like one thirty five. And I remember sparring with him, and I loved it because it was all just timing sparring, and it was pure technique. And he would just push me enough, like he would just push me to the point where like I had to do something, but it didn't hurt. <laughs> And when I would spar with people who were like my same level or just a little bit higher level than me, they would just try to wail on me. And I remember driving home after sparring in Muay Thai and like my head hurt, my ears were ringing and I wake up the next day with a headache. I'm like, you know, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Like this is not a long-term, this isn't a good long-term art. So that was a part of it. And then the other part was with jujitsu. One, you can train, you know, pretty close to 100% and yeah. and not not inherently get hurt like you can do it safely like any combat sport you're going to get injured sure. but you can do it in a you can do it safely and drive home at the end of the night and you're not going to feel like you're just demolished right. um the other thing too is that jujitsu is phenomenally technical and I didn't get it and it didn't make any sense to me and I wanted it to make sense so I was like, I don't get this. It doesn't, it's, it's hard. And it, every day I'd be confused in class. I'm like, this is so different from anything I've done. I never wrestled as a kid or did any sort of grappling. So that was, a, I think, a bigger part of why I wanted to train jujitsu and why I became like so obsessed with it initially was because it was just, it confused me. And I was like, this is really difficult. And it just, like, for whatever reason, my brain just, glommed onto it i was like i have to figure this out like i and so that was kind of what at a certain point i was like yeah this is what i want to do it's like when i renewed my had year contracts there at the time so when i renewed my contract i just did jujitsu and that was like really when it just obsession kind of took over Mm -hmm. is it you needed a more complicated puzzle yeah yeah engage your curiosity a good way to word it i think I, i had the same kind of conversation with uh Shavong purple, but he was a blue belt at the time. Sure. But because he had done some powerlifting meets, uh, and maybe even some wrestling and stuff, we've all had our you know past or whatever. But he was he was watching a video from one of the high level lifters and coaches at the time talking about because the sport is squat, bench, deadlift. You need technically one rep of each mm-hmm. in a, in a meet. You know, you get three attempts, but you you could do it where you just go out and do one and yeah, be yeah. done right. And you train those three movements over and over yeah. and over and over. And he was talking about this guy named Chad Wesley Smith was talking about how he's pretty comfortable being bored or like not being intellectually stimulated. He can do the same thing over and over and over again. And Siobhan was like, in that moment, I knew I was done powerlifting. <laughs> he's like, there's no way. I need, yeah. I need something more. I'm like, well, you found the right spot with jujitsu, man. It's yeah. just this ever-expanding universe yeah. of positions and moves and stuff. The the wild thing about uh, Muay Thai, I took pictures at a two hour seminar over at Striking Institute, and an hour and fifty eight minutes were in the clinch. Yeah, the grappling part. Yeah, yeah, is the most complicated lot. part. I suppose yeah. you know you can only kick and punch, so to speak, so many ways. You throw knees and elbows in there. There's a couple more, but like. There's only so many strikes in the universe. <laughs> yeah. You know, but the the joint angles at which one might submit somebody it, it gets yeah, close to endless, it sure. seems like. Yeah. 
it's definitely uh, more interesting yeah. if, you're, if you're looking for something new and shiny to, to learn, for sure. Yeah, that's a good point. And I'm sure, like, Muay Thai at a high level, I'm sure, is super intricate and oh, super yeah. nuanced. And Somebody um, just listened to this and was like, yeah, yeah. what are you people yeah. talking and, about? Yeah, and by no means. Like, I'm not yep. I'm at, not at all trying to take... I think Muay Thai is beautiful and, like, watching people, you know, the high-level dudes compete in it, it's, it's phenomenal to watch. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, for me, like, mm-hmm. my everyday practice of it, I was just like... I figured, you know, I got it. I get what I'm supposed to do. Like, even though I suck at it and I right. can't do it, right. like, I know what I'm supposed to do. Right. And yeah, jujitsu was the opposite where I was like, I don't get it. So that's kind of what, yeah, for sure that drew me to it, I think, a lot, a lot more. What do you think you get about jujitsu now? <sighs> Man. That's a tough question to answer. That's, yeah, that's a hard question. There we go. I still don't know if I get it. A lot of times it still confounds me. Um, the problem with that is that everybody else is getting stuff too. Yeah, yeah, like you exactly. get stuff, but the guys you're trained with yeah. get it too. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think I understand it fundamentally. You know, I I get the the goal and the maybe the biomechanics behind it. Like you get it from that level, but yeah, when you train with someone who's like an elite level grappler, like they make you feel like you don't know anything. So yeah, I try. I still try to stray, stay away from saying that i get jujitsu because i don't know if i necessarily do yet (laughs) it makes more sense now than it did 15 years ago but yeah it's every day is still like it's still trying to figure out the puzzle see that's the deal you needed a puzzle how long did you train over there uh so i was at the academy for about four years i think almost four years had a little bit of a falling out with them um and around the same time i kind of went through like some tough times like lost a job and had some other personal things go awry and Mm -hmm. those types of things so real life yeah so i went to i went to the cellar which at the time was on campus at the u of m campus oh really i didn't know that yep so they they've had multiple locations i think this was their second one um, I think it was just off of University or Washington, one of the two hmm. streets. But I was living at an apartment that was maybe like a mile away from there. And at the time, Tom Schmitz was teaching there. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, Tom teaches here. I knew, and I trained with him at the yeah. academy right. for years. And then, so I was like, I'll go here. And literally the day I showed up was the day after he left to open Spartan. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> shit. <laughs> so I showed up. I was and I was a purple belt at the time. Yeah. And I talked to Chris and I was like, you know, I could teach if you want. Doesn't know me from a hole in the wall. Mm-hmm. Like, n- you know, never met me before. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, if you want, I'm like, I'm like the highest ranking person here. You know, if you need somebody to teach, sure, I can do that. He's like, okay. <laughs> so sometimes a warm body is a warm yeah, body. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it was me and one other purple belt that trained at the academy sure. as well. And we taught there like alternating days. And it was. You know, a bunch of white belts, maybe one or two blue belts, and me as a purple belt. Mm-hmm. You were a god for yeah. a period of time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was there for a summer. Um, I think I taught there after that summer, but I was there exclusively for a summer. And a couple guys, like Doug Novak, brown belt, he trained there. Mm-hmm. Ryan Potamon trained there for a little bit, maybe like that same, only a few months. And then he went to train with Tom because he realized... Maybe Tom might have a little bit more to offer them than him than me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but so I train with a few people that still train now. 
you know, I, that I trained with there, they're still doing jujitsu. So yeah, that's pretty cool. And then I went to Alliance after that with Damien Hertz. Mm-hmm. So I think I taught at the cellar a little bit while after that. And I kind of let Chris know, I was like, you know, I need to find somewhere that I can, that I can improve my training on and having like a half dozen white belts isn't going to be enough. And he was like, that's fine. So I kind of taught there for a little while after until he was able to find somebody to, to fill the role. But so I was there, you know, one or two days a week, but I went to Alliance and off of Ishmael's recommendation, I was like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, go train with Damien. So I went there and I was there for two years, I think. Yeah. Two years. And in that time, uh, that's when Ish went, he moved to California for a year. I don't know if he, if mm-hmm. he talked about that. Yeah. He did the whole rundown. Yeah, yeah. Took us about five hours. <laughs> get through <laughs> the whole thing. That sounds about right. <laughs> um, so he, when he went to California, he told me, and I can talk about this now, couldn't talk about it then, but he told me that at some point he was opening his own gym. Oh, sure. He just didn't know where. And then he moved to California. So and I was like, one would figure. Shit, am I going to have to move to California? <laughs> God damn it. It's expensive there. I don't know if I can afford it. Anyway. Correct. Yeah. So he was, yeah, when he was there, I don't, 2012, I think. So I was, I was at Alliance. And then at some point he came back. He would come back. His family was still living here. So he would come back every few weeks. Yep. And he, um, we used to train in Tao Lee's basement like once a week with all his cousins before they, actually signed up to jujitsu schools and Ish showed up one day and was like, yeah, I'm opening my own school. I was like, oh, what? Oh my God. I'm like, so I was super excited. So I was, the, I was at Damien's for two years. And then after that, then I went to, to M theory with Ish and helped them put the mats in and paint the walls and all that good stuff. And I've been there ever since. Uh, I kind of like when people bounce around a little bit for yeah. good reasons, for bad reasons, yeah, for yeah. real life reasons, whatever. But it seems like it would, kind of diversify the knowledge base and expose you to to different approaches and different ideas a little better. I totally agree with that. I mean, I think if I have a feeling if Ish would have had his own school in 07, I probably would have been there for the whole time. I have a feeling that that's what would have happened. However, I will say that going to a couple different schools and having a handful of different trainers definitely helped. I mean, when I was at Alliance, like we had, Number one, the the student base there was awesome. Like training partners there were great and they, you know, all different levels that I could train with, same as I had at the academy, you know, same as I ended up having at M Theory, but all different levels. Um Damien brought in Lucas Laprie a couple of times and for like a week and a half. <laughs> and so that was awesome. So I mean, it wasn't was, just like a weekend seminar, this no, was like training camp. Yeah, for sure. Right. And I was, so I, at a certain point, I went back to school to study IT, and I was a full-time student, so I had no job at that time, I was living off student loans, and I basically scheduled all of my classes around jiu-jitsu as much as I could, and when Lucas Lepre came, I was, I went to every single class, he did a seminar, like, that was open to the public at the end, but sparring with him and watching him spar with other people, like, mind-blowing, like, First time, you know, it's the first time I'd ever sparred with a world champion before. Yeah, and it was, oh, that's that level. That's what that feels like. <laughs> Just toyed with me. And toyed with black belts that destroyed me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. 
That's what that feels like. That's what that looks like. And super nice guy, uh, super open about technique, and had certain like style, like his passing style was really similar to how I passed the guard. So he mm-hmm. would show techniques that I still use to this day. Yeah. And I was like, that's awesome. Like it completely changed my jujitsu. Um, and one of one of uh, Lucas's friends, Gabriel Goulart, who at the time was at the lower belts, he was like phenomenal. I mean, won worlds at purple belt and brown belt like a couple times. And then at black belt, he did pretty well. He never achieved like the same level of success at black belt, but he's still like the guy's a monster. And he's he's what Brazilians refer to as Casca Grossa, which basically means like knucklehead. More or less. Say it again. Casca Grossa. That it's seems like, like a word I should know. I actually. think literally it means like fathead. Oh, I definitely need to know this. Yeah. Word. <laughs> but it's like, it basically means you're like a knucklehead in yeah. training. And he, yeah. But he, he just trained super hard. Sure. But he taught there for an entire summer. And this was a summer that I was in school and I had the whole summer off and it yeah. didn't work. So I trained like every day, twice a day. Sure. Um, probably train too much yeah <laughs> like, well, probably, you, you can rest after he leaves yeah exactly you know, take a week off yeah and, yeah and catch yeah. up on that's totally what happened but it was like i just trained so much when i was there um all of my purple belt i mean blue and purple belt you know i would in the winters i, I did landscaping for a while so and you know we had winters off and i would train twice a day you know at least a couple days a week in the winters but that summer was i trained so much like my body probably it took a toll on my body but well, sure. but i learned a ton Your game step yeah you think that something like that like an immersive period of training should be the strong words but like should be a requirement for anybody mm. who's real serious about it i mean everybody's on that 10 yeah. 15 20 years of training but like that that specific summer there's a reason you fell into that story it was clearly a pivotal point yeah. like an important phase I don't know if I want to use the word should, mm-hmm. but it's definitely helpful. So that, yeah, should. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if if you're serious about jujitsu. Sure, sure. Yeah. If it's something that like you're super passionate about and you want to like progress, like improve your progression, having at least a period of time where this is all you think about and this is all you do. I mean, wake up, go train, go home, eat, take a nap, go eat, go train go home, take a shower, sleep, you know, that, that kind of level of training, like it can only, it can only help the growth of your jujitsu. And so I think, yeah, I mean, so that's summer before you buy the house and have the kid, <laughs> exactly lower your work schedule yep. and just start training go balls out <laughs> and then be a grown up later. Yes. You know? <laughs> Plenty of time to be old and grown. Yep. Yeah. Would that be your favorite phase then? Like purple belt? Mm. I'm gonna spoil it. Everybody cites purple belt. Yeah, for some reason, kind of. Yeah, in terms of purple belt, kind of is the fun belt. I think brown belt was super important. I think it was a really important period in my jujitsu. But in terms of just like fun, yeah, because I was just so immersed in it. And the thing with purple belt is this. Number one, you know jujitsu by that time. I mean, most purple belts, to be honest, probably know just as much as a black belt. They might not be as good at it. They might not have the same nuances and timing and options and all this sort of thing. But in terms of just general 
like overall knowledge. Like they probably know just as much as the black. The belt. glossary of terms is exactly. all there. Absolutely. Yeah. The other thing though is that number one, there's no responsibility to like perform a certain way. Because you still just purple. Yeah, belt. exactly. Okay. Where I think whether we put it on ourselves or yeah. whether other people put it on us, like if you're a black belt and you get tapped out by a blue belt, oh no, like the world's gonna come yeah, to an end. Yeah, like yeah. there's there's this expectation of like a certain level of like excellence or experience that you have to uphold sure. or else you know people might talk trash about you in a locker room i don't know but <laughs> nothing that actually happens yeah for sure it's, in, it's inside of our head yeah absolutely gotcha. but i think in in your mind though there's no responsibility you don't have to uphold anything at purple belt you're just training and so i think because of that and i also think because purple belts are kind of in a unique um like a unique position in the gym that if you have like a Assuming you have a large breadth of student base, you have white belts, mm-hmm. blue belts that you can smash and pick on and experiment with and do all those sorts of things. You have the other purple belts that you can go head to head with, yeah. and sometimes they catch you, sometimes you catch them, mm-hmm. and then but you still have those brown and black belts that kick the crap out of you. But maybe you start to bite at their heels a little bit, and maybe you catch a black belt, maybe you catch a brown belt. So you have this like really wide range of students to train with. Whereas like if you're a white belt, you're getting smashed by everybody. If you're a black belt, sometimes depending on the gym, it might be too easy for you. Depending on the gym, for sure. I mean, at M theory, I get smashed by everybody. So for me, it's, that's not the case, but the line at the front of class is damn near as long as the line. <laughs> exactly. On the wall yeah, some yeah days. exactly. But I think for a lot, for some black belts, like they have to adjust their training to make it work whereas and when you're a purple belt you just you know smash each other like you You've just try to go out and minus kill everybody. minus rounds and equals rounds and plus rounds For sure. abound yeah exactly so you've got offense yeah. to play you've got defense yeah. to play etc et so i think because of that it makes it makes that stage in your journey really fun yeah, that because makes a lot you of can sense, actually because yeah. you can play and because you can like explore things it's like the the I don't know how to say it, but everything just like grows like exponentially at that point. So it just makes jujitsu like super fun. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Every round has useful skill development in it. Yep. Versus like you're saying for a white belt, you're trying to guard your neck just <laughs> yeah. like last roll. Yeah. And the next roll, <laughs> maybe get out of a position here and there. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty interesting. Um, when did you get your black belt? 2016. So like summer, June or July. Can't remember exactly. So nine-ish, nine-ish years. Huh? No, six. Six? Yeah, 2016. I like how quick you, you, you corrected six, me Six, yeah. <laughs> six years. Almost six years. This summer will be six years. Um, you think you're a black belt? Yeah, I yeah. think so. What, what, what's your game like? What's my game? I oh mean, man. I've I've rolled with you. Yeah. So I know that it's confusion more than anything. <laughs> Interesting. At least as, as an outsider. As an outsider. A low yeah. skill outsider perspective. Yeah, yeah. But um I feel like so I'll preface this by saying it's changing. I feel like since I've been back from, you know, time off from knee surgery slash pandemic, yeah. it's changed. 
and it's changing. So what I've historically done in certain positions, I'm not doing that as much. So like now I've been playing a lot of mount, like cross strokes for mount. It's not something I've typically done a lot of um, or like over under passes. It's something that historically I've been terrible at. But for some reason, I was like, I really want to figure that out because it's a really effective pass. And like I've suffered <laughs> in training because of it, because I'm not I'm not yet. I'm not there yet for sure. Um, so it's changing. I think certain positions I'm playing with things now that I haven't typically played with. I would say historically, a lot of like spider guard sleeve control type guards um nogi i played more like x guard a lot like butterfly and x guard um a lot of omoplatas are fun that's what i that's like the fun technique to me uh i think a lot of people would say that back control is kind of my bread and butter like most people i train with that's that's what they talk about the most is mm -hmm. like oh once he gets on your back and i don't I don't, I don't know how true that is, but but that's that's like my favorite. It's that's objectively probably objectively accurate. <laughs> sure, maybe, but but like, that's like my favorite. Like the other day when you you came up to me at the end of training and and like looked down at my hands and you're like, you need to get good at collar chokes. Yeah, man. That was because I had just spent five straight minutes with you on my back trying to prevent you from finding <laughs> good grips to get a choke. Yeah, yeah, minute after minute with you yeah. on my back. That's probably what people would say is my best position. It's the position I feel most comfortable in, for sure. Like my, you know, purple and brown belt years was just, that's what I'm just, I want to get on people's back. Mm -hmm. So I kind of figured out different ways, you know, from top or bottom to get there. So that's probably my, my best position. But I used to play a lot of spider guard at the lower belts, but my fingers are pretty mangled. Man. So... I was as I was talking, referencing my hands. I'm noticing I got a couple of fingers that are shaped different than they were last week. Oh yeah, I don't even do a lot of those. I do yeah. a lot of grips, yeah. as you know, but like not the spider grip. Yeah. Do you think it, the you had two knee surgeries? Yes. Both knees or two on Same one? Same knee. Yeah. Same. Is knee. you think that's part of the impetus of the change in the game? Is there some limitations there, or are you? Did it just inspire some curiosity? Yeah. The latter. Yeah. I. I don't think it's because of like fear of getting injured or I'm getting older or, you know, there's some sort of limitation. Like my knee feels, it feels better to be honest most days from when it was like before all of the knee surgeries, like, it feels more stable, which is I, what the point of the knee surgery is, I guess. Success. But, yeah. but like my range of motion is back and my strength is back. And, sure. you know, if I stand for long periods of time, then it gets a little stiff. But other than that, as you're like, 44 years old, exactly. baby, that's just part yeah. of the deal. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, like I don't feel any sort of, sort of like issues or like hindrances with my sure. knee. I think the reason for the change is more the time away gave me a chance to reflect on my jujitsu and what direction I wanted it to go, and like certain things. I just think there's better ways to do them. Like omoplatas are really fun but they're not super efficient. Like, at least for me, like it's a lot of energy expended, like holding someone in omoplata. And I feel like maybe there's better ways to do things. Maybe there's not. Maybe I'll go down that path and be like, oh shit, I'm just going to do omoplatas because they're 
fun and they work. But there's certain things that I'm trying to like re reevaluate, like my whole jujitsu. I mean, all of it. And so I'm trying to play with with different things that I've historically not done and kind of working back from the ground up. But well, I don't think it's goes... a physical limitation though. Okay. Think, yeah. yeah. That goes back to your original shift to all jujitsu is like there yeah. was things to be curious about and things to learn and things you didn't understand. So yeah, yeah. you're just chasing some of those dark spots again. Yeah, for sure. I dig it. I still like being on people's backs though. It's like it's, home. <laughs> I mean, it seems like the best, this is your strongest spot. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's what I, that's kind of why I started training, like wanting to get to the back because when I was a purple belt, and kind of what I half joked about was I would have people like a big dude on top side control or top mount, and they would just shove me off of them. And I didn't have the technical skill yet to control the position. But when I would get on people's backs, no matter how big they were, or strong or fast or whoever, slimy or you know however you want yeah. to word it, yeah. that people had a harder time getting out. Yeah. So at a certain point at Purple Belt, like the light bulb went on, and I was like, oh, this position is like way easier to control people. So that's kind of when I started to go down the rabbit hole of, of like, I want to get really good at this one position because it's it feels, at least to me, way more dominant than any of these other like offensive positions. Well, I mean, it just is objectively. Yeah. yeah. I have zero leverage to maneuver yeah. you well, when you're, not, you're behind you're me. Be- yeah. I mean, I'm behind you. You know, if, you, if you're in mount on bottom, at minimum, you can see your opponent. You know, so no matter what they're doing, <laughs> right. if it's sport jujitsu or street defense or whatever, MMA, yeah. where people can hit you, I can see the punches coming. I can see the choke coming. I can see the setup for mm-hmm. the arm lock. Like, if I'm on your back, you might be able to feel it, but you don't necessarily know what I'm doing back there, you know, and I can hit you and, and you won't see it coming and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think. From all different positions, I think it's the strongest position. Obviously, if Hadra Gracie mounts you, you're going to think, oh, this is the best position in jiu-jitsu because it's miserable and I've got a pickup truck on top of me, (laughs) you know. But, like, yeah, but even he, when he gets on people's backs, it's, you know, there have been matches that he's won, whole tournaments that he's won, that he just took everybody's back and it was, they looked equally miserable as if they were mounted, so... I think obviously each individual has a strong, stronger position, but yeah, if you can be behind someone and they can't see you, like it's super easy. Um, anybody ever told you that you look bored when you're training? No, I don't think so. Nobody said that. Uh-uh. And it's just your focus. A lot of people look directly at what they're doing when they're training. Yeah. And a lot of people kind of look off in the distance and kind of like internally see what they're huh. doing and you're a look off in the distance guy and you just look bored all interesting the time. I don't, I've never which is that. super intimidating to see somebody you know what i'm saying somebody yeah. uh i can see that <laughs> imposing misery on someone who according to the belt around their waist knows a little <laughs> bit of this stuff meanwhile they're just like looking out the window yeah. in the street kind of just bored yeah. sorting through that grocery list Trust me, when dudes like Ethan crossface me, I probably don't look bored. No, I probably look like yeah. I'm in pain. I make a lot of facial features <laughs> or facial expressions. Apparently, like when people get me in, like pressure, you know, people mm-hmm. put pressure mm-hmm. on me. Like I make a lot of goofy faces. 
like I was Ishmael's Uki for a long time mm-hmm. like at brown belt, pretty much all brown belts, mm-hmm. like three years or whatever it was. Yeah. And he would show certain techniques or passes or things that involved like pressure. And people would always comment about the goofy faces I made. So it's kind of funny. But it's, so it's funny you say that because. That's the opposite. Uh, yeah, exactly. exactly. I, I guess I only yeah, see yeah. you when you're like on the attack and in, yeah. the, in the dominant. Uh, it's funny. <laughs> dominant position. You like teaching classes? You did, um, you did it quite a bit when I first showed yeah, up to the gym. I don't mind it. It's not like what I'm passionate about. I kind of, for me, jujitsu's kind of been a selfish journey. Like, it's kind of just something I do for me. Yeah, no So I don't have, I don't really have a desire to teach. I don't have a desire to be like, to ask Ishmael, like, oh, can I teach a class or, you know, open my own gym or anything like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I don't mind it. I like it. I get something out of it when I do teach. Um, but I don't, yeah, it's not like I don't live for it, but I don't dislike it. I mean, I, I like being able to give people knowledge, but it's not like. It's not what I, it's not why I do jujitsu. That's not your next like career Ishmael's, or anything yeah. like that. Took like take like Ishmael. I mean, he that's been his main focus since probably since he was a purple belt. Like he's just so focused on teaching. Where I've been way more focused on my own progress and stuff like that. So, but I, you know, I like it though. I I get something out of it for sure. When people ask me questions that I have no idea how to answer, I'm just like, oh, huh. It makes you think about mm-hmm. jujitsu differently mm-hmm. when somebody, when you kind of get into somebody else's brain and their thought process, mm-hmm. it makes you look at jujitsu differently. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think in terms of your own progress in jujitsu, it can be helpful to teach because, oh, now I have to think about this in a different way yeah. that I never would have thought of because we yeah. all have different body types and different brains and different views of, of the sport and experiences. So. I learned that same lesson with coaching people in the throws and like shot put and discus and then coaching people in powerlifting where you have this moment and you're like, man, if I had this type of understanding or this level of understanding six years ago when I was doing this, I'd be way better at this. I think that's how uh, jujitsu works because so much of it is literally just sparring. Because yeah. again, you're not actually punching each other. You can do it a lot, like do it live a yeah, lot, yeah. where you're kind of coaching and being coached. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. that the way that guy went to pass my guard is never how I would. Those aren't the grips I would have taken for the over under pass, huh? Yeah, yeah. So sure. it's almost like a teaching moment that's happening in that session, mm-hmm. just like you know me raising my hand and asking, "Well, what about this grip and this grip?" And you're like, "Oh yeah, I bet that would be good." Huh? Yeah. And then you take it and go try it. You know, <laughs> you start yeah. learning stuff as the coach. Yeah. Uh, it, it's like the only way to gain that perspective. Just like sparring is the only way to really get good at jujitsu. You know? Yeah, I think for me too, one of the uh, kind of the funnest parts is when people ask me a question and my response is shit I don't know cuz then I have to figure it out like it, it's almost like a a a moment of maybe like vulnerability in a sense where you have to I don't want to lie to the person like I don't want to bullshit and be like all right you just do this and that'd be the wrong answer like I always try to just be like man I don't know but let's find out like put me in this position and I'll see what my like intuitively what I would do like, I think I would do this. Try that and see how it works. You know, you might fail, but who knows. And even like Hoffa Mendez, he he's done a handful of seminars at M-Theory. And I remember I partnered up with 
longtime training partner who's he's since moved, but we we were partners and he called Rafael over. He was like, What about this? And Rafael Mendez did the same thing, you know, world class black belt. He's like, I don't know, let's find out. Come here. And like he did the same sort of like practice, I guess, where he's like, I never would have thought of that. Yeah. I would have just done this other thing, but so it's yeah. the only honest answer. Yeah, for so sure. You know what? I don't know. Let's yeah. workshop it. Yeah, it is, and a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people want to will give you BS and be like, "Oh, so and so does this, just do that." So I think it, but I do think it's when you get to that level of jujitsu and you're still like, "Huh, well, let's figure it out, let's play." That's what a lot of the you know those guys I've seen video footage of guys just like brainstorming techniques, like world class jujitsu players. Oh, I do it this way. You do it that way. Why do you do it that way? Oh, I should. You should try this one. Oh, that's way better. And like, these guys are world champions and have phenomenal jujitsu, and they're still like troubleshooting and things like that. So yeah, it's it's interesting. Was it? Uh, I've been around for a couple seminars with Jared, mm. and he gets up there and it's like, okay, ask questions, and he's like, huh, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, well, let's find out. Yeah. He literally just workshop it now. Yeah, yeah. Something tells me he knows the answer, yeah. but he's kind of just yeah. playing coy and doing it yeah. that way. But there might be a little playing coy there uh-huh. with Jared. It seems central to his personality. I don't, <laughs> I don't know him well, but yeah. it seems like it's the case. Yeah. Um, one of the things I do on this, uh, usually toward the end, is ask people to give advice for people training jujitsu. Mm. Not that this whole thing probably didn't feel like advice, right? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of the way it goes. But if we package it by belt level. Oh, okay. So somebody's just joined up or they're new, they're a white belt. Then for the blue belts. Ooh. Okay. The purples and the brown. I would say for white belt, try to think about jujitsu more in terms of like the broad brush strokes of the art. I think one of the biggest mistakes that I think white belts make, especially when they very first start is they get too lost in like the minutia of the art. The really fine details are what they're interested in. They want to figure that out. But I think a lot of times that part of it can go over their heads. So I think it's better to try to focus on like the bigger picture and just know like this is the closed guard. I want to be here when I'm on bottom. When I'm on top, I want to pass this. I want to get I want to get around the legs. I want to get to mount. This is mount. If I'm on bottom mount, that's bad. I just want to get out. You know, you I here's an arm lock, here's a choke. Like it doesn't have to be here's how you finish the choke and these fine little, you know, nuanced details of how to finish it, but just know that it's there is step 1. So I think there's there tends to be too much of a rush to try to get to, well, do I grab his collar an inch above the collarbone or an inch below? Like, just grab the damn collar. Like, just do that first, and we'll figure it out You're later. You're about to be swept anyway, so don't worry <laughs> yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think a better way, especially at the early stage, like that first year or whatever, is just to try to think of, like, the bigger picture, like the 10,000-foot view or whatever, and just know... If you're in certain positions, this is bad. I need to get out. If you're in other positions, this is good. I need to stay here. What are my options? I can choke them or I can arm lock them. I can do X, Y, Z to them. So I think at that stage, it's better to think about it more broadly. Um, Remember to breathe. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I also think, too, at white belt, honestly, and this might be like a 
glib response, but just show mm-hmm. up, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, just show up to the gym and be disciplined and like be engaged in class and pay attention. Like, don't worry about asking so many millions of questions and just make jujitsu a part of your life. Make it a part of your daily routine and make it something that's like meaningful to you. And eventually it'll start to make sense. Like, it's really difficult, I think, to give white belts really specific advice because, like I said, a lot of times it just goes over their head. Or, and the, the problems that white belts have in general are really similar. They run into similar obstacles where like even at blue belt, the obstacle might be different purple belt. And by the time you get to black belt, the obstacle is like individual, but at the beginner stage, it's so the issues that people bring to like Ishmael or me, I hear people ask this question and I'm like, I've heard a white belt ask that question like a billion times. So I think a better way to approach it is just to kind of, I don't want to say like enjoy the process, but that's kind of what you're doing. Like you just, if you just get the basic understanding of here's what all these positions are and here are options from these positions and just go from there and just show up every day and, you know, put in your best effort and be engaged in class, like your journey is going to be way more smooth than if you're stuck on, you know, why can't I finish this one choke and yeah. where should my hands be? Like, you know, figure it out. Like, that stuff. Just keep rolling. Yeah, exactly. Just keep rolling. <laughs> uh, blue belt. So now I have a clue. Yeah. I'm a blue now belt. I have a clue. I think at blue belt, blue belt's kind of like the find your style belt. Because by that time, you kind of, you, you should have an understanding of like the core fundamentals of jiu-jitsu you should know all the core positions you should know a handful of arm locks and chokes and maybe you know hopefully some leg attacks and things like that sweeps passes like these core things that make up jiu-jitsu you should know I'm so make a note to look up look up some leg <laughs> attacks i'm like supposed that. to know those okay well maybe one or two you don't have to but so i think at that time now is kind of the time to put your own personal stamp on jiu-jitsu take the things you like and make it yours. Like take the things that you feel like you're good at and try to develop some sort of semblance of like a game around it. And it can be super, you know, rudimentary. It doesn't have to be this complex thing, but you're like, I like passing this way versus that way. I do this better. I like mount versus side control. I like, you know, sweeping from guard versus submitting from guard, you know, whatever it is. You know, like wrestling takedowns versus judo or like pulling guard or whatever it might be. Try to develop like a game, like a a complete kind of every level, every stage of jujitsu, you know, every like range or however you want to say it. I try to think of, okay, we're standing. What do I want to do? I'm on top. What do I want to do? I'm on bottom. All those sorts of things. Try to develop like an entire game that you can work with and it like i said it doesn't have to be like this super complex thing but just have a a basic idea of every position this is what i like to do um purple belt i think would be kind of what we talked about before but i think purple belt's kind of like the exploratory belt or the experimentation belt because like i mentioned like you know jujitsu by that time and you you have all these tools so now i think would be the time to expand your game like you can really grow and dig into any position you want and say oh well i used to play i like to play 
closed guard. Let me play with butterfly guard. Or let me play, you know, I do a lot of sleeve control guards. Let me play more leg control guards. So maybe I play a lot of spider guard and lasso. Let me switch to De La Hiva or yeah. X guard or whatever it might be. You know, I do speed passing. Now I'm going to try smash passing. You know, whatever kind of positions you want. But I think at Purple Belt, it's really helpful to just play with everything and just expand and kind of explore every single position that you can think of because it, you know, like I mentioned, you have all these different ranges of students to train with. So mm -hmm. you get to just play with everything. So yeah, I think purple belt. Yeah. Just explore everything. So brown belt, I would say is like the refinement belt. So I think at brown belt, you know, your game is really well defined by that time. Like, you know what you're good at. You this like if I go into a competition, I know exactly what I'm going to do. Usually, by the time you're brown belt, like it's hard. It's probably even hard to go outside of your game. Like you know exactly what you're doing. So I think because of that, now is the time to like just perfect it as close as you can. Like polish it and make it as sharp as possible. So all the little like fine gaps in your game, like just close them all up. So really work on like refining every aspect of your jujitsu like it could be any position but like for me like back control for example at purple belt i was like i want to get good at this one position at brown belt i made literally made a conscious decision in my head that i nobody's getting out like that was my mindset at brown belt it was like if i get on your back i don't care who you are you're not getting out i don't care if you're buchecha if you're hodger or hafa mendez whether that was true or not yeah you know, is irrelevant. My mindset in training was if I get on somebody's back, they're not getting out of this. Works so, on Matt Browse. <laughs> I know that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that was my mindset at that time was like, I just want to perfect this one position as much as I can. Um, and obviously like refinement should be every aspect of sure. jujitsu, but I think that's, a, it's a really good example. I think of the mindset that I took at Brown belt was, really focusing on like sharpening everything and closing up all the gaps to kind of prepare you for, you know, black belt level. You know, you, I feel like you don't want to get to a black belt level and like, Oh, I'm really good at everything, but my guard sucks and I don't know what to do from there. You know? So I think there, there should be a certain like well-roundedness to your mm -hmm. jujitsu, but also like the things you're good at, just try to become great at them. Um, I think at black belt level, I would say black belt is honestly just the pursuit of mastery. Like just trying to deepen your understanding of the art as much as you can, like every day. Um, will I ever master jujitsu? I don't think so necessarily. I don't, that's a, a tough call as, you know, somebody like Hadra Gracie, has he mastered jujitsu? Yeah. <laughs> like pretty undoubtedly, yeah. But he's probably still trying to refine things and make things better and explore things. So And he probably wouldn't say that he has. Yeah. He'd be lying. Yeah. But or wrong. Yeah. Or what, you know, <laughs> He'd be wrong, would, yeah. Yeah, maybe not lying. But that's the final form yeah. of jujitsu is arguing about whether or not people know jujitsu. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> I think at that point, like the goal should be, at least in my opinion, like you should just be trying to constantly be improving your jujitsu. I don't, and not everybody does that, and they don't necessarily have to. I think some guys just at black belt they just show up and because they want to 
get a good sweat in and they don't really care if they have the same exact jujitsu for 20, 30 years straight. And that's okay. But for me personally, I think like I should always be trying to deepen my understanding of jujitsu and constantly trying to go as like as deep as I can in every aspect of it. And hopefully with mastery in mind you know and that's that's why i would clarify as like the pursuit of mastery because i don't know if mastery is necessarily possible but the goal of pursuing it i feel like is really important and is honestly what at least keeps me showing up every day so cool man hopefully that answered your question no that's good that's good (laughs) anything else oh no try to think message you want to send message oh boy no messages <laughs> at all okay um i have a question for you oh because <laughs> you haven't been doing jujitsu as long as me you started later do you follow so do you follow like the current sport like the sport jujitsu do you follow athletes and i am watch a really athletes? bad sports fan okay i like i want to i'd like to like, even when I was competing at the highest level, I competed that in strongman competitions. People would hear that and be like, oh, did you see that so-and-so? I'd be like, mm, oh, man, I I do a really bad yeah. job of paying attention. Yeah, and they'd yeah. look at you like you're out of your mind. Like, you figure somebody plays college baseball, they're probably watching the World Series. I think that's more or less true. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, if my hands aren't on the thing, it doesn't directly affect, affect me, like... Yeah. You know, like huh. we had cats from our gym at Pans. So I was paying attention to whatever yeah. degree you can. It's, you know, I mean, I was getting updates from people, you know, and whatever. And then just as a part of doing this, it's cool to be able to, you know, be a fake media figure or whatever. So there, there again, I have some version of buy in. I know the people there, or it's going to be a podcast guest or something like that. Uh, but I have a really hard time paying attention to what mm. other people are doing other than I, like, yeah, here's a guy I know. Let's sit down and learn about him. You know, know. I, the reason why I asked was I was curious to know if like you had a, a favorite jujitsu player or a favorite person or someone that you like look to, to like study um, at your stage. Cause I'm, I'm kind of disconnected from kind of the current yeah. group or the current generation of right. sports jujitsu athletes. So I'm kind of curious. I was just kind of curious to know yeah. if there's anybody like currently or in the past that you look at and be like, I want to be like that. dude. It's a cool question, but I, I think, I don't think I'm, it's a cool question, but like I am super focused on, like, I don't care who the info comes from. <clears throat> I'm super focused on little technical details and like movements. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, well, but who does those and who do you like that does those? I don't even know, yeah, bro. Okay. I mean, rando videos and people will send me <laughs> stuff. Like I'll have a, a half guard conversation with somebody at the gym and they'll send me a video that they watched. Some guy or gal, like I don't even care. Like is there useful information here? Yeah, is yeah. this something I can then go and drill? Cool. Like, I, I, And I, th- I think I probably will find someone that stylistically mm. eventually or I'm a fan of how they play or whatever. But more or less right now, it's like, I need some info here. Yeah. I'm getting drowned, you know, like <laughs> I, I can't breathe in these positions, you know. So uh, for me, yeah, it's less about like finding a, somebody's game to emulate or mimic and more just like, all you people have good information. <laughs> Let go. me take what I can. Yeah. That's like kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I rock with it. I respect it. Cool, brother. Thank all you. Right. right on, man. Good shit. <laughs>